Good morning, friends. How is everybody this morning? Good. So this is exciting. Um, we are in week eight of our teaching series, What I Really Want to Know Is. And um, as Jake and I were saying, this has been a really great series, I think, for connectors. So I'm going to start out this morning with a little story. Does anybody know where they were last year on August 25th at 2.02 a.m.? I remember where I was. I had been, John and I had been jumped out of bed by the loudest explosion that I had ever heard in my life. And of course, I'm a mom, and so all I cared about was my kids. And I ran up to make sure that they were okay. And as long as they were okay, I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I didn't think about anybody in our neighborhood. I just wasn't, and I fully admit that, and I'm a little convicted by it. My husband, on the other hand, has been a welder by trade, and he knows what a gas explosion sounds like. And he was looking through the windows, and I had turned the lights on, because I was going to get on Facebook and see like, if this was an earthquake or what was going on. And he said, that was an explosion. Shut off the lights so that I can see where this fire is. So I shut off the lights, and I sort of walked into our kitchen. And we live right on the Missouri River, and I could see the flames reflecting off of the river. And I said, John, it's a fire. Our, our, our neighbor's house is on fire. And my husband, just like men do, God has given men something really amazing that he didn't give me anyways. Um, John grabbed his shoes, took a sweatshirt, and went out running. And when we got out there, our neighbor's house had actually exploded. And um, I called 911, and the, the, the operator said, well, is there anybody in the house? And I immediately said, uh, no, because I didn't think anybody could have survived that. And I would have never put in my life in danger to go in there. But my husband didn't think a thing about it. And he was in that house rescuing our neighbors before I could even really think about what was going on. And I'm just, I'm thankful for what he did because they probably wouldn't have made it. And I just want to share that story this morning because we're going to talk about sacrifice and like I said, I was very convicted um, because I didn't have those thoughts at all to go into that home to rescue anybody. I was just thinking of the safety of my children. And um, I know you men out there think of the safety and protection of your loved ones and ones that um, you don't even know very well all the time. So let's get started this morning, and you'll just have to forgive me and the teaching team in Bozeman. We had some... Um, we had some changes that were made to the notes, so I'm not sure if anybody got notes. If you'd like notes, there is a basket of notes. Did anybody with the team hand those out this morning? Okay, good, we have notes. So um, we're, just gonna, we're just gonna be cool today with the notes, and we're just gonna, we're just, if, if I'm going too fast or, or we're not getting fill in the blanks, just let me know. Um, when I first ran this through with John, he said you're going too fast, so. Um, I'll take my cues from you this morning. So this is week eight. Why did Jesus have to die? 
As many of you know, over the last couple of weeks and maybe even months, we have been polling both the Bozeman and Great Falls campuses on questions regarding God and faith. And today we are going to focus on this question. Someone wrote, what does it mean Jesus died for our sins? Why did he have to die? And for the next two weeks, uh, we will camp on this particular question. Uh, the teaching team, who does such an amazing job, I can't even tell you how devoted this group of people is to bringing you relevant messages. They decided that there's too much information, so we are going to do week 8A and week 8B. But let's break into this now because it's a beautiful sunny day outside and I want you to enjoy that. Let's begin with the Apostle John. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John. We're going to start by talking about who G John is and why he wrote this letter. Of course, we know John is the disciple of Jesus, an eyewitness to Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. He gets to see firsthand Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. John hears with his own ears Jesus speak the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speak to Lazarus to come out of the grave. Jesus to utter, it is finished. John feels the power that Jesus has as he lays hands on the sick and they are healed. And in the end, when Jesus washes John's feet at the Last Supper. The Apostle John writes, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom you have seen and heard. We, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So what I get from this passage is that John is pulling us into relationship with him, engaging us into this eyewitness account that he has, proclaiming to the reader that through his experience, you can have fellowship with John and also with Jesus. Most importantly, that you can have fellowship with God when you are far from him. And God wants this fellowship with us. What I get from John is that he's asking us to trust him in this fellowship that he had with the other believers and with God. This fellowship is not like having an acquaintance. It's not like something that you uh, have a friendship on Facebook. It's not Instagram. It's not social media. This is the Greek word koinonia. Now, has anybody ever heard that word? Raise your hand if you... I first heard this word from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. He had a whole chapter on it. Well, when the teaching team was talking about this, we brought this all up again. So the Greek word koinonia, it means more than the English word fellowship. And as we know, when we try to look at and translate Eng English words from the Greek, it just doesn't do justice. And so our teaching team really wanted this group to understand what koinonia means. And it's relationship that is deeply intimate, honest, loving, where you know the other and are known. And that takes a lot of time. There's no hiding in koinonia. 
And I want you to think of a time when you've experienced this rich community, this rich fellowship with another person or God. What was it like? Wasn't it good? The big idea here, and your fill in the blank, is God will sacrifice everything, everything, to have this type of fellowship with his children. But first we have to talk about what blocks us from this relationship. And many of you probably know what it is, and not many of us enjoy talking about it. And certainly, when we were thinking about doing this teaching, I thought, bummer, why did I get this one? But actually, this message is filled with so much hope. So the block to this relationship is sin. We all have this problem. It keeps us from this rich and deep relationship with others and with God. Next week, Bob will share some questions from connectors about past sins that they've committed that have been extremely painful. These questions are about sins that continue to haunt them today, causing them to wonder if they have gone too far. And the question next week is, how can I know I have eternal life? You won't want to miss it. But first, let's go back to this issue of sin. So as I've said, sin always breaks fellowship with God. We know this from the account of Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, what did they do? They hid from the Lord. They broke that deep, intimate, loving, honest relationship with God, and their guilt and shame drives them to hide in the garden. And so I'm asking you today, have you ever hid from God? Are you currently hiding from God? I know I have. Actually, currently, I have a certain situation in my life, and I'll spare you all the details. I have a difficult family relationship, and I can't just end the relationship. It's an important relationship to me. I've experienced this sweet fellowship with this person, and at times in my life, this person has been even closer to me than my own husband. It's not John. He's actually great. I don't know how he puts up with me all the time, but he does a good job. And so in this relationship that has changed, as I told you two weeks ago, with this health difficulty that I have, my relationships with people have changed. And it's been very devastating because I'm not the same as I was, and this person isn't the same as they used to be. And instead of going to the Lord with my shortcomings, I talked to him about everything else except this relationship. The reason being, I know he will ask me to seek forgiveness from this person, and I just don't want to. I'm filled with pride, and I want to be right, and while this relationship is very important to me, I just don't want to bring it to the Lord, and for whatever reason, I keep from reconciling with this person. And I confess that before you today. And I hide from the one who can forgive and offer grace to help me. As a Christian psychologist, I also hear from my patients that when they're struggling with sin, they certainly don't want to come to therapy. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to pray. They don't want to face the guilt and shame. They are hiding from the one who can forgive them and offer grace to help them. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about sin. 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Here's a really important thing as we went through this with the teaching team. Wages is not the same as punishment. I thought that was a very important point. Wages are what you naturally earn when you work at something. I want you to really think about that. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately began receiving the wages of their sin. God warned them that sin would end in death, but their first taste of the wages of sin was shame. When we go to work at sin, the wages we earn are certainly shame, certainly guilt, but then there's hopelessness, loneliness, sickness, fear, anxiety, broken relationships, purposelessness, sadness, deception, self-hatred. I could go on. And you know this list goes on and on too. The shame Adam and Eve felt wasn't God's punishment. It was the natural wages for their sin. So Adam and Eve went into hiding. They covered themselves with fig leaves to hide, just as we cover ourselves when we sin. It becomes a vicious cycle. And as I prepared this message, I wondered how long Adam and Eve would have been in hiding wearing their ill-fitting covers had God not come looking for them. And as I said before, God takes the initiative to restore fellowship. He goes looking for them. Perhaps at some point in your life, you were told that God is so holy that he cannot tolerate sin. And they probably told you that the proof of this was that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. They say God is angry with sinners. If that's what you have learned, you might be afraid of God too and hide from him as well. But remember, it was God who went looking for them. Have you ever heard that before? I've never thought about this account that way. So God himself creates the clothing made out of the animal skins. And we know an animal had to die to be sacrificed in order for the clothes to be made for their coverings. And the death of the animal to cover Adam and Eve's shame foreshadowed the eternal solution that God would provide through Jesus. Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not, have per should not perish but have eternal life. And so what does this mean? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, I want you to know that this teaching team that I've been a part of for the last month has studied diligently and worked very hard on this message. I can't even tell you um, the amount of time and energy and resource that they go into preparing these for you. And I'm just so proud to have the opportunity to serve with them. And so I want you to know that all of this uh, has been something that we've talked about deeply, something that has really been researched. And we really want to answer this question for you today. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, here is what Jesus said when he shared the Last Supper with his disciples. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says, This is the new covenant in my blood. As Bob shared a number of weeks ago, Jesus made the new covenant. 
This covenant is unconditional and permanent, unlike the old covenant, which was conditional and not permanent. The sacrifice that seals the new covenant is Jesus. Jesus died to be the perfect covenant sacrifice. Let's move back to John's letter, chapter 2, verse 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So what we have done, I want this, I want you to look at your notes if you have them, and I just want to respect the work of, of the entire team here. When we're looking at this, it says God takes the initiative to restore fellowship. And so we've pulled the Greek word hilasmos out of the notes. Now, hilasmos is often translated atone in English. And I wasn't going to go off of these, but I feel like I do need to explain this a little bit. So we're looking at John, 1 John 2.2. Out of the New Living Translation, it says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. In the English Standard Version, it says, he is the propitiation for our sins. And then in the next version, it says, he is the expiation for our sins. And our teaching team really wanted to get the best translation for you. Now, to atone means to make amends, and I think that's what we see in most of our translations. Christ atones for our sins. And propitiate is to appease the wrath of a deity. So that I'm sure many of you have heard this. So what that means is Jesus takes on all of the wrath, all of the anger of the Father so that we don't ever have to experience that. Expiate is to extinguish guilt by covering over. And when we look at the Old Testament, we find that the priest would pour blood out on a special altar or the mercy seat, and the blood covers the sins of the people. And so what our team decided was we would like to use the word expiation. That is what Jesus did on the cross. Because God loves us so much, he provi provides the sacrifice and the blood Jesus and Jesus's blood covers our sins. I look at it this way. I think of my sin as the fire. And in looking at this word and really trying to research it, to extinguish guilt by covering over, I think of the blood of Jesus as extinguishing the guilt on the altar. And I always think in word pictures that I can really understand some of these things that the Lord is trying to teach me. I think one of the word pictures that helped me the most was Max Licato. And he had shared that once you've accepted the Lord, the Father no longer sees you, but he sees the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb covering you. And that's how I think about it. And that's a very helpful way for me to, for me to understand what Jesus did for me. Let's look at 1 John 4.10 for some clarity. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the hilasmos for our sins. God loves us so much that he took the initiative to establish a new covenant with us, an eternal covenant, an unconditional covenant. And just like he covered the sin of Adam and Eve, 
the blood of Jesus covers us. Do you see how God takes the initiative to restore fellowship? God will sacrifice everything to fellowship with his sons and daughters. Jesus' sacrifice ensures that our fellowship with God can be restored. In connect language, what this means is we have the ability to now reconnect with God. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Someone might ask, if Jesus covered our sins, why do we need to confess? The answer to that question is that the point of forgiveness is restoring fellowship with God. If sin has blocked fellowship, I confess my sins to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and come back into fellowship with God. 1 John 2.12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his sake. This letter from John is so interesting, and I do hope you read it this week, because it addresses sin, confession, and forgiveness over and over again. He says, if you sin, Jesus will forgive you, but don't keep sinning. But if you do sin, you have an advocate in Jesus, but don't make a practice of sin. And so as I was thinking about this and really praying this through, none of us wake up in the morning and decide, today I'm going to sin. It's not something that lovers of Jesus do. And so God knows that we need his help, and he provides it. Two of my favorite verses, one in John 14, 15, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful that he does. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. What a promise. In Hebrews 4.16, which is one of my life verses, the author says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. We have these promises. And so I'll ask you today, why would we hide from the one who has made the sacrifice to cover us? He sent the Holy Spirit to help us and permits us to come to his throne of grace to receive. He's provided all of these gifts. Why would we hide? He's looking for you. That is why you're here today. Genesis 3.9 says, He is calling out to you and asking, Where are you? He desires to cover you and restore you to himself. Will you answer? I think that Bob has prepared some great points as part of your notes in the Digging Deeper section. He asks, what role does shame play in breaking fellowship with God? In what ways does God express his love in this story? And do you think God was angry? Why or why not? 
we've talked about the term expiate. How does this word explain why Jesus died? How can you sacrifice for the cause of fellowship with God or with others? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Father, as the band comes up, the worship team comes up, I pray that today you'll continue speaking to us as we go about our way. And Father, I pray that if anyone in this room has been hiding from you, you will show them very clearly that you're coming after them. You're chasing them down. You desire fellowship above all else with them. And Lord Jesus, let them examine themselves about why they're hiding from you because you've already provided everything that we need. Father, thank you for this team that has worked so diligently to serve you. It's an honor and a privilege. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.